Oh, welcome back to Ranking 76, where we are ranking 76 heroes and villains of the American West. I am Eric. And I'm Matt. And today, we finally made it. We have made it to the Alamo. Close enough. I don't think there's a theme for the Alamo. Hey, it was an adventure. That's fine. I Harrison Ford is very proud of you. So anyway, the Alamo uh, was commanded by William Barrett Travis, and he is our subject today. Matt, how much have you ever heard of William Barrett Travis before in your life? Well, uh, just what you said the last couple episodes is kind of funny, though, because he, I feel like, did a lot, but probably the least recognized out of the three We'll see. You have Crockett, who is very witty. You have Bowie, who is horrifying. He has a lot to live up to to make himself entertaining. Let's see how he does, shall we? I mean, anyone's better than Bowie, right? I mean, he was entered. He was worth talking about. It's just don't, don't Mess take any, him. don't take any money from him, and don't fight him, and don't try to kill him. Yeah, yeah. Only germs will kill. William Barrett Travis was born on August 1st, 1809. He is one of 11 children. When Travis was very young, his family moved from South Carolina to Alabama. Uh, Travis would be educated in a school run by his uncle, where he graduates and then becomes a part-time teacher. You can tell there's not a whole lot on this man's childhood, so we're already jumping into graduation from high school. When he graduates, as I said, he sticks around his school that his uncle runs. That in itself isn't abnormal for older students to stick around and teach the younger ones. William, very exciting, finds his future wife, Rosanna Cato. Part of the issue, you could say, is he didn't have to look outside his classroom to find his future wife. Rosanna was one of the students. Oh, I thought you for a second you were going to say he didn't even have to look outside his family. Dun, dun, dun. It is Alabama. hey Hey. <laughs> Sorry, Alabama. Low-hanging fruit on that one. The two develop a love affair, and they marry in 1828. Depending on the timeline, however, Travis may have had that shotgun planted firmly in his back because Rosanna gives birth to their son two months after the wedding. How much teaching was going on in that classroom, William? Dang, did he do that with all his students? Jeez. I hope not. Extracurriculars, you know? They didn't have a football team. Yeah, that's it. No football. <laughs> now, it's he's not that much older than him. So, like, yes, it's a little bit creepy that the teacher hit on a student. But he's 18. I think she's 14 or 15. It's not the huge age gap, especially when you think adolescents are... Uh, 1415 is about uh, marrying age for some women in the same. It's not not the ookiest thing we've covered, um, but it should be known. William is a capable teacher, but his ambitions do not lie in education. According to William C. Davis in his book, Three Roads to the Alamo, the ambition William hunted for was, quote, the kind of status that only went to two kinds of men, the big planters and the lawyers. Travis does not want to plant anything, so he's going to focus on the law. So where do you focus on the law? He travels with his uncle, and they move to Claiborne, Alabama. This may have been the largest town Travis has ever seen. 
the bar's not particularly high because there's only about 750 in the town. 300 of those are slaves. However, it is rapidly growing, and it is the county chair uh, for his county. And if Travis wants to become a lawyer, this is the place that he's going to have to do it and study under. He mentors under a man named John Dellett, a native New Jerseyan with a big reputation in the town. Dellett is a graduate of the University of South Carolina, back when college degrees actually mattered. I'm not bitter. And is just shy of his four, uh, just about to turn 40. Travis isn't the best student, and I think we see with his wife, he maybe was focusing on other things than the books. Travis's strategy isn't really about how much of the law he can learn, but rather how fast he can learn it. Dellett, as part of his mentorship, would have Travis read contacts, give oral examinations, and would allow the young man to observe the courtroom when it was in session. While not in the tutelage of Dellett, William also starts a newspaper. On the surface, this is a pretty influential position. Claiborne, though, hadn't seen three newspapers fail within the last 10 years. Travis is still 18, 19 years old and is either unaware of the past failures or the bravado of a male American teenager thinks he can just do a newspaper better. It is assumed that William had to have had some type of financial backing. He doesn't come from a wealthy family, and it's unsure how else he would be able to start a paper without it, possibly a private agreement with another former editor of a past newspaper in the town. He rolls out the first edition of the Claiborne Herald. It is published under the name William B. Travis. The cams comes out with the motto, Thou shall not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. It rolls right off the tongue. Doesn't it? I had to really think hard of what that meant. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but it, it, it was words. Like all newspaper before and after, William used advertisements as a form of income. He would charge a dollar for the first insertion and a, for a 10-line advertisement and 50 cents for each appearance thereafter. In each advertisement, he left himself a little code in the little corner. For example, the code 35-6T, as in 6, comma, T, would remind William to start on issue 35 and publish the advertisement six times. Even on a good month, though, it isn't the fortune William is looking for it to be. The Claiborne Herald would generate about $65 on advertising, not including expenses. In quick order, the teenager started showing some of those flaws. Maybe he understands that this isn't the cash cow and maybe the effort goes out or maybe he's completely under under his head because shortly after misspellings start showing up in the newspaper as would be run too long. And on one occasion, one advertisement was printed upside down. That was the trick of it. That was to get you to buy it, to see the crazy upside down ad. That would be a good way to see if people are reading your ads. It's not the worst strategy I've heard. It's also not the best strategy I've heard. I wonder what the ad was, and I wonder how mad the company was. I don't know. I really... Hmm. That's why prints out of... Uh, print, no one prints anymore, come on. That's true. So maybe Travis isn't a newspaper man. That's fine. He's mentoring under John Dellett. And he passes the bar in 1829. He's only 20 years old and is ready to do some lawyering. 
And you would think being in the county seat, all these people coming in, needing legal advice, he would be set. But if you're coming to court, do you really want to risk on a young upstart lawyer? Or are you going to go to the more established lawyers in town? Travis and Dellett are by no way means the only lawyers in town. So Travis doesn't find a lot of work. So what do you do when you have a failing newspaper and a just as successful, a successful lawyering career? Join the army. No. Worst decision. Steal. Uh, closer. It involves money. Take out a loan. There it goes. I was about to say, your student loans are crushing you right now. I understand. <laughs> That's going to come up. Uh, yeah, he takes out a loan uh, and he's unable to pay back his loans. On top of his professional life, uh, not doing so well, Travis and his wife have their child, but also nine slaves to feed, unable to pay a $2 tax per head on his slaves or his personal slaves. Either way, he is taken into court. Only to make it worse for Travis is that the prosecution is John Dellett. His the guy mentor. that he mentored, or the mentor. The mentor, yes. Yeah. It's a cruel world for Travis. William claims infancy on his loans. What is infancy, you ask? Infancy is protections from individuals under 21 who are not legally responsible enough to take or pay back debts. Therefore, William did not think he needed to pay them. And in the court of law, Travis said he was an infant. I declare infancy! Infancy! <laughs> <laughs> I hope he just stood up right in court and that's all he said. But I'm a kid. I don't know. <laughs> Mr. Tra Mr. Travis, how do you plead? Then it was just baby talk. I don't know. I uh, William had just turned 21 years old. He's five foot 10, 175 pounds, and has a full beard. John Dellett probably looked over at Travis, who was probably looking really smug, like, look how clever I am. Look at this hammer I just dropped. And Dellett probably rolled his eyes. It's like when you train someone and then you're like, oh, the trainee has become the master. He was probably like, boy, did I not teach you anything? Mike drop. Right. Dellett. Oh, I'm going to school this guy. <laughs> Dellett just picks that microphone right back up like, oh, oh, dear boy. Dellett asked Travis to stand, brings him over the jury box, probably by the ear, or at least in my head, he's pulling him by the ear. Bends him over the knee and spanks him. Oh, no, no, something else, something else. <laughs> nope. My bad, my bad. That was part of that uh, school, school boy uh, <laughs> teacher relationship he had. <laughs> Is either, do you think he may have like carried him like a child? Like he just can't. <laughs> when you put said pull by the ear, I, I pictured it. Get over here. <laughs> Delit doesn't have to do much at the jury box. Delit simply looks at the fully grown man with a full red beard and says, ladies and gentlemen, I make proofist of this infant. The jury break out in laughter because obviously he was a grown man and not a child. Probably was a dead giveaway that he could hold up his head by himself. I also picture like Delit like scratching under his chin. Like, who's the baby? <laughs> who's the baby? <laughs> 
God, that had to have been so embarrassing. I can't, especially if he was like, ooh, I just schooled this guy. And oh, that was a horrible mistake. Uh, you'll be surprised to learn that uh, the court ruled against Travis and that he was, he had to pay back his loans. No way. Yeah, who would have thought? It's not really known when Travis thought of Texas. But the thought of crossing a state border seems like a really good idea at the moment. He scoots home and he, what I'm assuming, declares really proudly, Rosanna, I'm going to Texas. And she was like, what do you mean you are going to Texas? Did he abandon them? He left them for Texas. Oh. But don't worry. He said he'd be back for her. Spoiler alert. He doesn't come back. I mean, I won't spoil anything, but he basically had a shotgun wedding. He's 21 years old going to a foreign land. So that means she would be 16, 17? Around there. Yeah, that's about fair. She's still a kid and has a yes. kid. Yes. Now, again, different norms. She would have been viewed more as like as a woman. Like, a, yeah, so it's, it's still it's still icky, but it's not as. Right. But I mean, like he's leaving her to fend for herself, essentially. Excellent point. Yep. Uh, and there is pre there is kind of precedent for this. So like you have Crockett uh, went to Congress, didn't take his wife. That is fairly common, especially if you're Travis and if your intentions are to bring your family back. You don't want to bring your family if there's not a guaranteed success. Right. Uh, I think you also can think of Jesse James's father um, did the same thing to go to the Gord Rush in California. Failure is is more of the expectation than I guess the reality. I guess so. It's not the worst move for Travis, but it's kind of shady. Outside the possibility of escaping jail time, there's a few other things going in Travis's favor. One that we saw in Bowie's episode is that it's very easy to claim land. Essentially, you were one reference letter away from being able to collect hundreds, if not thousands of acres of land, depending on your marital status. Though he's not much of a farmer, getting cheap land on credit would be good collateral in case he wanted to open up a line of credit. In order to get the land, he went through Stephen F. Austin, who will get his own episode. But in recap, Austin is able, basically gets a whole boatload of land for every hundred families that he's able to bring in. He has this power from the Mexican government that allows him to do that. On Travis's application, however, he lists himself a year older and then lists himself as not married. Yeah, he did. That shyster. He sure is. Probably a couple hundred miles away, a single tear rolled down Rebecca Rosanna's face. She doesn't understand why, but she deep down she understands. <laughs> Just looks out at the moon. Oh dear. Oh poor Rosanna. In Texas, there is also, in Travis's benefit, an exciting lack of lawyers in the area. Being a trained lawyer, he would be one of the very few in Texas, so men would have to come to him. It doesn't matter if they're in the county seat or not. He moves to a nearby nearby Trinity Bay in a town called Anahuac. He picks up Spanish and becomes a genuine success in town. Things are turning around actually pretty quickly for him, which is probably the opposite of what everyone thought was about to happen. Not only is he making good money in the law, but he's even being able to put on retainers. He can actually pay out loans to others and rent out his office for others to practice legal uh, work. Stephen F. Austin is impressed by the young man and even starts recommend, recommending him to more established men in the area. 
all is going well. But then that dang Mexican government just had to come in and ruin it all. Those shysters. That's my new favorite word, by the way. Shyster. I yeah. like it. Is that the drinking game? Every oh, time you say shyster. Oh, yeah. Shyster. I'll drink to that. It's going to be a real interesting telling of the Alamo if you keep saying it. Here's where we see where Bustamante gives the order to build some garrisons and just to keep an eye on all of those rowdy Texians in the north. We even may even make them pay taxes. One of the first incidences go in the buildup to the Texas Revolution is called the Anahuac Disturbances, which Travis currently resides in, the town of Anahuac. Let's go back and do some background very quickly. Colonel Juan Davis Bradburn has about 40 men and heads out to Perry's Point on October 26, 1830. His orders are to occupy the garrison at the crossing of the Trinity and San Jacinto rivers. It was originally built, his garrison, to prevent smuggling from across the river, but is now also being used to collect tariffs, something that would have been a thorn in the Texian side. Due to a recently passed law, Bradburn is also in charge of stopping the United States immigrants from coming into Texas, if you remember that a little bit from Bowie's episode, where there there's too many Texians, we have to stop Americans coming in, but we're still going to leave the border open for European descent, anyone else. Bradburn is kind of responsible of keeping everyone else out. What a lovely position to have. Super easy. With 40 men. Yep. Oh, I could have done it with 20. One hand behind your back too, bud. We're going to move the, the timeline ahead about six months. And there's been little disturbances so far. But in January 1831, the land commissioner issued titles to residents who reside in the area prior to 1828. The titles had been approved by the government. However, Bradburn believed the new law voided out earlier grants. Because of politicking with the land commissioner, Bradburn and him are on opposite sides of each other. Bradburn even has the commissioner arrested for some time. After the commissioner is released, the commissioner issued 50 new titles and then simply returned home. Here's a big mess for you to deal with. Bye bye If there's one thing he's going, it's, he basically just wanted to kick the, stir, the hornet's nest uh, because it, when people start to land disputes... We saw Daniel Boone. It drove him crazy. We saw James Bowie's entire freaking episode dealing with land grants. Um, it is literally just there to angry Bradburn. And more importantly, those 50 titles that are now disputed for Bradburn to deal with. What tensions boiling there, word comes down to Bradburn that the government doesn't want the Anglo-American lawyers practicing in Texas without a license from Mexican authorities. Bradburn is ordered to check lawyers' licenses. This will directly affect William Travis. Just in case that wasn't enough tension in the area, though, the Mexican government ordered to start collecting duties and taxes on all ships already in the Brazos rivers in the Galveston Bay. Effectively, it's a retroactive tax. It didn't matter how long you were there, how long you were using it. You now owe taxes right now, please. Bradburn now, thankfully, has about 300 men. 20 or so are convicts. With a combination of petty thievery and an attack on a woman, it doesn't take too long for the locals to start pointing fingers at Bradburn 
and his men. Because the easiest thing we can do is to point at the military with the convicts on everything wrong with our town. There is even a rumor around the town that Bradburn's men were stripping the dead of their possessions after a town went through a recent epidemic, possibly cholera, as we saw in James Bowie's episode. So not only is there just petty theft, attack on a woman, but now they're basically just taking whatever they want from the dead. There's no respect from these people. Set the Texians. And one final morale blow to the area. Bradburn was also housing runaway slaves from Louisiana. Bradburn also then gives them asylum. Mexico had never allowed slavery in the area. However, slaveholders would cross the line with not slaves, but their heavy air quotes, indentured servants. Between the revolution going on in Mexico, the slaveholders back about 10 years earlier had basically been able to use this system without penalty. Even if the majority of the population are not slave owners, the sediment is pro-slavery and it takes the day. Travis himself, a slaveholder, himself is outraged because Bradburn is hosing these runaway slaves. A slave catcher confronts Bradburn and is not successful in recovering the runaway slaves. That slave catcher then runs to William Travis to help recover the runaways. He then hires Travis. When Travis confronts Bradburn, Bradburn tells Travis that the slaves are enlisted under his command and have a com- and have applied for Mexican citizenship. So in other words, no, you cannot get them back. Now go away. A prideful man, Travis sits in anger while Bradburn thinks that there are also maybe too many angry Texians and there's not enough men to hold out this fight. Travis forms a militia with the excuse that they're there to help fight Indians in the area. Not believing him, Bradburn arrests Travis and his law partner for parading the militia. They're only in there for a couple of days, but they're still very angry about the runaway slaves because how dare they just want to be free when rumors that will be proven false that the owners from Louisiana of the Louisiana runaways are going to come up with their own militia and take them back by force. Bradburn readies the garrison and just waits for it to happen. With tension nights filled, someone described as a tall man wrapped in a big cloak arrives at the garrison outside of Bradburn's door. When asked to identify himself, he simply replies, Amigo. That's creepy. In the shadows, what's your name? Boy. Amigo. Amigo has a note backing the rumors of the Louisiana militia, and they're coming. Bradburn is more annoyed than intimidated. And when he hears of the tall hooded man, he believes it's Travis. And for all intents and purposes, it may have been, but it's pretty weak evidence. And we don't really know to this day if it was Travis, but Bradburn and arrests Travis and his law partner, and they don't place him in jail. They place him in a brick kiln and is fed a diet of boiled beans and stale bread. Where are we at? What is the state we're at? Texas. Does staying in a kiln seem like the best place to be? <laughs> oh, no, you're cooking. If anything. So I, I understand, like, Bradbird, I agree with Bradbird, right? 
runaway slaves, protect them. That's fine. He is there doing his job. Uh, some guy kicked a hornet's nest and he has to deal with it. To place someone in a kiln on next to no evidence, you're just ask like you're you're doing everything to rile these people up that you possibly can. There is no delegation. Travis is able to communicate to the outside by exchanging notes through the laundry. They're able to get the public sentiment in their favor. 200, for, 200 men form outside and track Bradburn's cavalry of only 19 men and actually hold Bradburn's cavalry, cavalry hostage, and then they anticipate a prisoner exchange to get Travis out. After a day of fighting, the rebels release the cavalrymen, thinking an agreement was in place. And there was an agreement in place. However, they, when the cavalrymen do not evacuate the area, like the agreement said, Bradburn does not release Travis. When the rebels don't evacuate again, Bradburn turns it up a notch and threatens to fire on the town. Jeez, it's getting messy. It's one bad mistake after another, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Like, how how can I make them angrier today? What does he think his outcomes are going to be? You know, he only has 300 men. He is outnumbered. I don't know what he was thinking. It's well, he's thinking I'm a military man. Come at me if you're hard enough, but they'll come after you, man. <laughs> like they're, they're they're going to. There are a few small skirmishes in the area. When Colonel Jose de las Piedras, Bradburn's immediate supervisor, dis, did what we just talked about, believes that the rebels could overrun them at any moment and removes Bradburn and reinstalls the town council. Now, the Mexican government will take away town councils. Think of it as during the American Revolution, like the intolerable, not the intolerable acts, but like when they shut down the Virginia, uh, the Virginia House of Representatives. I can't think of it. I'm sorry, Jerry Landry, forgive me. Think of it like that. They shut down so that they couldn't meet. They did the same thing here. But Piedras removes Bradburn immediately and then lets them able to have their town councils again. Travis had been sitting in his kiln baking for around 50 days. Good God. That's a lot. Days. Do you think they stuck the toothpick in him? And um, like, I can't imagine what he looked like. Oh, skinny, skinny and sweaty. <laughs> do you think they stuck the toothpick in him? Like you do a cake and like, nope, it's not done yet. A little bit well, more. Well, just probably punctured it. It was probably like when you cook, um, what is it, uh, like chicken or turkey for a little bit too long, and it just like has that weird, really like gross skin, like all flaky. Yeah, I'll mm. go with that. I thought you were going a completely different <laughs> way, and I was really questioning how you tur- cook your turkeys. Travis would write deep fry. Yeah, you American. Travis wrote, soon after his experience, the Mexicans have learned a lesson. Americans know their rights and will assert to protect them. He said that he would also, he would not see his constitutional guarantees trampled underneath the Mexican foot. Last I checked, you left the United States, Travis. You don't have constitutional guarantees anymore. You are quite literally not in America. That's what I don't get. Like the even with Crockett and um, Bowie, like I felt like they moved there, but then they still pretended like it was America. Yep. 
I think that's kind of what the Mexican government was feeling too. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. We invited you here. No, nope, we're going to set up like governments and we're going to do I'm, our own thing. I'm going to practice American law. Right. Like there's nothing like I, I do side with the Mexican government in these cases, like anti-slavery. We just want you to follow our rules, folks. We just want you to live here and not be dicks. I mean, we're, they were giving away land. Loads of land. We'll see in 1862, the United States give out, gives out a piddly 160 acres per person. And here we are. You can claim 4,400 by being married to a Mexican woman. You have Stephen F. Austin literally has thousands upon thousands of acres. And it's cheap. It's like $30 five years from now. All you got to do is work the land. And again, don't be a dick. But no, (laughs) it's too much. They're going to come for that $30 tax five years from now. And we're going to be outraged. Show me where I signed a thing that said I can't be a dick. Oh, William, it says it right here on this application. Remember when it said you were single? How does your wife feel about it? And child. And child. Yes, there is. Mm. Now, they're worried about mm, the slavery really is a big deal leading up to it. That is taxes. Like, there's a lot of different reasons. But yeah, they invited you in here. You're rebelling because of pride. 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 Anyway, it's easy to forget that Travis is still in his early 20s, 22, 23 around this point. Well, yeah, he just and baked he, for 50 days. He probably looks like he's about 80. That is true. <laughs> Son, you look 50. You look like hell. What happened? He claims in his. Oh, what if it was a spa, though? What if they just had the smoke stones the entire time? I keep thinking, I keep thinking of like the people, I mean, that like go, let's say to Florida for a little too long. And then they, all they do is sit outside. So they have that weird, like leather skin. (laughs) I just picture that him like that now, just like burned to a crisp. What was it? SpongeBob dried out. Yeah. Like yeah, like a yeah, you're right. Like a sponge, throw some water on that guy. <laughs> he had boiled beans to eat on. How dare you? He was uh, what was it? Boiled beans and um, stale bread. Stale bread. Yeah, it had to be stale. It was still baking in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything everything they put in there. If you didn't eat it right away, it just burn. Anyway, he's out of the kiln now. It's fine. Why are we worried about right. him? Yeah. After being released, Travis moves to San Felipe. And comes under the watch of Stephen F. Austin, who is genuinely impressed by the young start, by the young upstart. And it is easy to forget that Travis is still in his early 20s and claims in his diary that he has won money in seven straight months from gambling. Just a nice little humble brag in there. However, he doesn't, if he does win seven straight months of gambling, he doesn't send much of that money back to his wife and child, who, by the way, Rosanna gave birth to another child about six months after Travis left. Travis has never met his daughter before. He has two kids now. He now has two kids. Oof. She had to have known she was pregnant. Oh, yeah. Six months? I mean, you're three months pregnant. Yeah. Well, I mean, I again, I don't know what the preg- instant pregnancy test looked like back in the 1820s, but right. she must For have For anyone listening that was around back then, go ahead and let us know. 
Yeah, mom, what did you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> Got that one in. Take that, mom. Hey. So, so she has two. So he doesn't know. He doesn't even know he has a daughter, right? No, he, he, I'm pretty sure he does. Oh yeah, because I'm sure they're still like snail mailing. Yeah, they're they're absolutely so. He does actually send money back some of it, but it's mainly from like they think it's from his law practices. Um, and he doesn't actually deliver it himself. He sends someone else to give Rebe- uh, Rosanna the money um, and then still doesn't ask for them to come. Um, now, if you remember me earlier saying uh, there's no guarantee of success. Yes, he was just baked for 50 days, but... And it's kind of successful. He doesn't really have anything else to say. So, or really, really anything else to um, hide on, I guess. But one explanation he didn't invite his wife is also in his same diary, Travis brags that he just had sex for the 56th time. So he's, uh, he's a scumbag and uh, uh, adulterer. I mean, yes, he's not, he's not doing well in the family department, if we're being honest. Um, now, when it says 56 times, it doesn't really know if one, if it's complete BS number, or if after every time they finished, he just said one, two, five. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, it's also not known if that's how many women he actually slept with. He was known to visit prostitutes, so 56 may have actually been the different women. We don't know. It could have also just been an early 20-year-old bragging some BS. They're known to do that. Travis is so excited by his no life, he even starts writing his own memoir. At 24, what has he achieved at this point to deserve his own memoir? Anyone? Anyone. I'm waiting. You in the back. No, I can't think of one either. And the only thing that makes me angry is that it's 2022 and we're talking about him right now. So who's to say I'm wrong or I'm right here. Say what you will about Travis, but he is moving up in Texas and society, not only partnering with Stephen F. Austin, but he also then meets James Bowie, Sam Houston and Henry Smith was around at this time as well. Austin leaves to go meet with Mexican officials in Mexico City to get separation from Coahuila, a nearby county. Again, Austin isn't completely on board with the Let's Leave Mexico site or Let's Leave Mexico campaign yet because he has it set pretty well. They just want tensions to be resolved. Right. They want things to, they want things to calm down a bit. Stephen F. Stephen Austin. Stephen F. Well, yeah, because he's yes. got a ton of land. He's got a sweet gig. He's yes. living the life right now. Why? Why? Don't rock the boat, guys. Please. Kind of. Uh, it's very. It's very similar to the United U.S. Revolution, where you have some that do and some that don't. You also got to think it's easy because we've been saying that uh, Americans have been filtering into the area. Do not think for a second the majority of those living in Texas were not Mexican descent. It is still a it is still the country of Mexico. That is that is the majority. So you do have a lot of uh, Tejanos, Mexicanos, that kind of thing. So um, just keep that in mind. It is not. It isn't just a bunch of white dudes and their slaves. When Austin arrives in Mexico City, Austin keeps correspondence with Travis, who informs Austin that they are now trying to form their own providential state government. 
in hopes of provoking Santa Ana into action. The action taken was against Austin in the form of arrest in Mexico City. The Texians, now with even more of a firm grasp on we want to rebel, Austin is going to be arrested for about 18 months. The Texians move forward with their government. Travis wants to be one of the leader, but loses to a man named Three-Legged Willie. Three-Legged Willie. <laughs> they don't call me three legs for nothing, youngins. <laughs> oh, that voice. Oh, that voice. That's the voice of Three-Legged Willie. <laughs> That's the voice of someone that rubs your shoulders from behind. <laughs> I think a cigarette ash just dropped on my shoulder. <laughs> Probably was freaking three-legged. Uh, the real reason is he actually had a deformity to his knee that kept it permanently bent, and he had to use a peg leg. But uh... creepy uncle direction you took it also works. That's exactly um, what I thought. What were you thinking? Sure. Now, everything you said could still be true. Also, we need a nickname rating on Three-Legged Willie. <laughs> it's pretty, I mean, uh, what Keep is it? Keep in mind, think, think of the name Willie. What else could that three-legged? Mm, I'm going to go ahead and uh, say uh, seven. Seven. You're right up there with Sombrero Jack. I don't think you like Sombrero Jack. Yeah, I did. Oh, no, I didn't. I liked... um. What was his name? Help me out here. I don't I know. Mean, <laughs> I can pick. <laughs> Help me out here. <laughs> so it's not some Burrow Jack. Okay. It's like uh, the one that was like Bloody bloody Eyed Bill or something like that. Bloody Bill Anderson? No. <sighs> no, if it's bloody, that's the only. Bloody Bill Anderson is. It could have been. Guy. It could have been. Dang, we need to keep track of this. Wendy Cahill? The other oh, Billy no. Kid nickname? No. It was probably Bloody Eyed Bill or. Bloody Bill. Bloody Eyed Bill. <laughs> what do you have against the eyes? <laughs> it's creepy when they're bleeding. Yes. Yes, it is. Back on track because, good God, that took a turn. Uh, back at the state convention is called. A man named Henry Smith argues that the Texians are already free and that they have no rulers. And why not, why keep talking about this independence thing? Why don't we actually just make this official? And I think we're at the point of the revolution where I think both sides just need to get over it and kiss because there's been a lot of tension building up. Something just needs to freaking happen. A lot of the Texians have already decided that they need to break away from Mexico. And you can point to taxation, the sending of troops north, or arresting Travis. There's just another reason for these Texians to rebel back on William, he now has to deal with that whole wife thing in Alabama uh, because he actually has had feelings for a woman named Rebecca Cummings. I knew it. You kept saying Rebecca over and over again. And I was like, I guarantee he's going to hook up with someone named Rebecca. Yeah, you got me. Rosanna is his first name and Rebecca is his second. Yep. 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 You got me. Yep. That's why I should edit my notes better. <laughs> Travis has strong enough feelings for Rebecca that he now has to make it official and he wants to ask his wife for a divorce. In a letter to Rosanna, he asked to actually raise his son in Texas with them. Not the daughter, just the son. While he waits for Rosanna, 
He claims a league of land for himself. A league, remember, is 4,400 acres and claims himself as a widower on this application. I don't know who checks these applications, but they're doing a really terrible job. Uh, now with 4,400 acres, a budding professional and political career, Travis uh, went from being unable to pay his debts to now in the upper crust success in Texas. Depending on how the revolution would turn, his future may be even brighter. Travis's wife, Rosanna, agrees to the divorce and the two meet for the first time in nearly five years. Travis meets his daughter for the first time, who is now just turned four years old. Rosanna leaves with their son. Uh, Charles stays with Travis for him to raise. And it would be the last time Rosanna and his daughter would ever see Travis again. Back to Texas. Austin is released from prison, but is left in bond in Mexico City until May 1835. Santa Ana started seizing Texian ships uh, to collect customs and also to help reduce smuggling. Anyone suspected of smuggling would be held for an indefinite period of time. Travis just wanting that fight, not just Travis, but everyone just brewing for this fight even suggests in a private letter that even if Stephen F. Austin would be killed in Mexico City, it might not be the worst thing for the revolution because seriously, we need to get to action here. Travis even raises 20 men uh, to meet an arriving Mexican regiment who is, taxed, who is tasked with collecting taxes. They board a small ship equipped with one cannon, which is just adorable. I'm sure Travis was very proud of his one cannon and his 20 men. When they meet up with the Mexicans, the commander demands to know how much Tra demands to know what Travis' intentions were. Travis just demands for their surrender. What are you doing here, sir? We're here for you to surrender. Give up now. <laughs> okay. Now, the Mexican commander wants the knight to think on it, thinking like, he only has 20 men on this boat. I'm sure there's more. But we'll think of it. Travis refused, saying in one hour he was going to attack, clearly trying to avoid a fight. Travis is then invited to go over terms on the riverbank. Reminder, Travis still only has 20 men, but tension in the area and the commander believes that he's up against a much larger force. When the commander asked Travis for more time, again, Travis refused, saying that in 15 minutes, he would put every man to the sword. The good news for Travis, this bluff works. Travis terms to surrender all public land and for the commander to never return. Officially, you could point that Travis starts the Texas Revolution peacefully. That's a bold claim to have 20 dudes in one cannon and demand surrender. Travis's next opponent would be General Martin Perfecto de Cos, who issues arrest who issues arrest papers for Travis citizens hearing of a potential third William Travis arrest in nearly two years really rally behind him. Travis still has to flee, but when a thousand dollar reward is put up on his head from a threat from Perfecto de Cos, he threatens to that Travis once captured would swing from the first limb, the first half hour he was delivered into the fort. However, he is able to escape. Austin returns from Mexico City finally on September 8th. And with Austin finally on board, he asked Travis to raise a cavalry unit. But like most rev 
revolutions, Travis isn't able to guarantee pay for any men he would be able to recruit. Again, he would have to go for future pay. Um, and in trying to get young Americans to also accept another man's command, it's also a tedious task. Come for me for the revolution, uh, but not for pay. And you have to listen to everything I say is kind of a hard sell. While Travis is building his cavalry unit, the Battle of Concepcion is fought and won under the co-commandership of James Bowie. While Bowie is getting praise, Travis has to deal with really small issues, such as when you gather something for the army, it belongs to the army. So when they came up to a herd of cattle and men individually started claiming cattle for themselves. That one's mine. That one's mine. I call it dibs. (laughs) Mine. No. Oh, God, guys, please. How many times? (laughs) Wonderful thing to have to deal with when you're leading men. Outside of Travis's control, Austin is also shortly not in control of the army. The new head is Sam Houston. And due to a lot of internal politicking and Travis politically being tied to Stephen F. Austin, Travis leaves the army for a short time, but is back within weeks after he's offered a lieutenant colonel position by Houston himself. Travis is now officially part of the army, not just the militia. So again, little bit of politicking going on. It seems like he stepped down just for pride so that Houston could ask him, but... It's funny that you could just get out of the army back then, huh? Eh, you know what? No, I'm out of here. Now there's yep. a little thing called, you know, contracts you got to sign. You can still leave the, the army. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, see what happens. Yeah, sure. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. See what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, for, yeah sure, sure, sure. Travis then orders Houston to go to Behar, otherwise known as San Antonio. Travis reluctantly accepts the position when he arrives to the the town it's barren san antonio was just recovering from a siege three months ago and it only had 120 volunteers and most of the valuables taken away already in use for the army travis isn't there long when he hears the main body of the mexican army actually just crossed the rio grande river santa Ana is on his way And he may be here within the next 10 days. When word of Santa Ana and the Mexican army coming closer, men inside the town just run. James Bowie and David Crockett finally arrive. But because Travis can't catch a break, there is almost instantly a power struggle between Travis, the official commander of the fort of the garrison, and its two most famous counterpart, James Bowie and David Crockett. Travis has no choice but to offer up the co-commandership for the garrison. When it comes to a vote, Crockett will not allow himself to be considered, but he would prefer himself to be known as a, quote, high private, leaving Bowie as the only other legitimate option. When a vote is held that Bowie wins and had to feel a little vindicated, because as you remember in his episode, nobody wanted to trust James Bowie with any type of command until a gunshot until the battle started, then you want to follow James Bowie beforehand. No, 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 no. There, there's some red flags there. Right. <laughs> Bowie celebrates by going on a two-day bender. Remember that we talked about the two-day bender? Don't forget parading the prisoners around. Yeah. Uh, also, I got to fall on my sword on that one. On the listen back uh, that you sent me, 
that sounded off to me. So I went back to my source, William C. Davis, Three Rows of the Alamo, and I tried to figure out where I could find that, and I couldn't. So it oh, makes me think. You makes it makes me think I miss. I either typed it wrong, or I mixed. I do. I also used a couple uh, uh, Texas Historical Society articles to build these. Um, I think I might have mixed some references. So, so what you're saying um, is this horrible human being that was named James Bowie might have just been a scooch less horrible. I'm saying, um, I don't not know enough to I'm matter, sure. but. I'm being, I'm being accurate. I'm falling on my sword. <laughs> um, so anyway, I did rewrite a little bit of this section, but this is, I can actually source this back to material now. So maybe don't quote me so much on that particular part of James's episode. Everything else is fine. But um, on Bowie's bender, he gets drunk. That part was correct. Uh, and then he detains, then he detains any civilians from leaving uh, San Antonio or uh, Behar. He confronts a judge to release a convicted thief from jail, as well as ordering the release of a man convicted of mutiny. Finally, Bowie orders that all prisoners be set to hard labor. When he finally wakes up sober, Bowie does apologize to Travis, but Travis is more than a little annoyed that his co-commander basically just kicked up a hornet's nest for no apparent reason. While Bowie is off celebrating, you'll be happy to know the Mexican army is still getting closer. I was going to say, like, while he's doing all this, of course I'd be mad too. It's like, bro, we have only a couple days. Yeah, like they're coming. And what he doesn't know is that Santa Ana is basically marching his soldiers nonstop. He is pushing them hard. I'd be like, listen, Bowie. Quit being a shyster and start doing your job. Drink. You proud of yourself with your grin? Very. So they hear that the Texas Army is, again, two days closer than they were before your bender. Then they see citizens starting to pack, like, really quickly. Like, abnormally quickly. When Travis orders anyone to stop, it's ignored. Because Travis then gets word that the Mexicans are only about two days away. Travis himself gathers out with a few men and sends out to see if they can spot the Mexican army somewhere on the horizon. Smoke, uh, smoke from fires, dust, you name it. They ride out of town and get a mile and a half out and they turn a corner and the Mexican cavalry is like right there, like right there. Do you know that gif of the baby running into the kitchen, stopping, saying, ooh, and then running right back out? Yeah. William Barrett Travis is that baby running the hell out of there. Upon seeing that, Travis turns right the hell around and goes back and orders everyone who is going to be staying to enter the Alamo compound now. They're not coming they're here. Once back in the compound, Travis writes like crazy for reinforcements, claiming that he has about 150 men and is willing to defend it to the last. Once the message is sent, there's little to do but wait 
and wait for others to gather what little supplies that are in the town. Again, they had just been gone through their own siege a couple months earlier. Bowie, if you remember, his reason to being in the Alamo or in San Antonio was to actually take arms away. And then he just, he pulls a Bowie and he, he stays. While there's trying to gather all of these supplies, it was probably more than a little demeaning that the townspeople that did remain would just simply shake their heads at them and say things like, quote, poor fellows. <laughs> oh no, that's terrible. Dead man walking. <laughs> that's not even the end. The end of the quote is, the full quote, poor fellows, you will all be killed. <laughs> hey, I keep forgetting to ask, who was the name? What was the name of the guy they sent with the to go get more troops? Um, it's just a courier. Now he's going to be trying. He's going to be writing to Sam Houston and to uh, Fannin. If you remember Fannin, he was with Bowie at the Battle of Concepcion. He was kind of his. Uh, but the answer is anyone. Anyone who can get out, anyone who wants to come in, that'd be cool. I vaguely remember hearing about a like a the lost hero of the Alamo or something like that. It doesn't come to mind unless you're thinking of like Travis used a a Mexican woman um, to like deliver orders on the last day of the siege. Uh, I don't think that's what you're talking about, though. I don't remember a lost hero. There's only okay. uh, spoiler alert. Everyone knows this. Um, there's only going to be about 12 survivors of the Alamo. None of them soldiers, it's basically men. It's basically women, children. And then like William, the ones that just like couldn't get out or whatever. Well, I time. mean, non-combatants, non-combatants, right. basically Travis is slave. Like there's only 12. Oh, wow. Okay. Like it's yeah. So anyway, we're, we're a bit away from that. The Mexicans quickly occupy San Antonio. Travis orders a flag to be raised that can be seen uh, and just basically ways to see what the Mexicans can do. What the Mexicans do is raise a flag that is all red. An all red flag, in the meaning in the Alamo, would mean blood would be no mistake. Uh, there would be no quarter given. So, yes, there will be blood if we're going to quote Jigsaw. Anyone inside the Alamo would be executed once travis sees the red flag he fires a single cannon shot towards the mexican army and they return fire neither shot does any damage but i guess a, the tone is set i don't quite understand that why we're firing a single cannon shot i don't know seems silly to me the commanders disagree on what to do next travis wants to wait and see if his call for reinforcements is met, they will also give them time to set up their defenses for the Alamo and to keep an eye on the Mexican army. Bowie wants to meet the Mexicans under parlay. And if you remember from Bowie's episode, he did so without Travis. He sure did. Bowie takes it upon himself to write across enemy lines asking for a parlay. Bowie dictates in a letter that when he is finished, he is reviewing the letter. The translator, out of habit, wrote basically at the signature line, God and the Mexican Federation. Bowie crosses out the writing and instead puts God in Texas. 
Oh gosh, Bo- Bowie man, he's a he's a freaking goob. <laughs> Tell that to his face. I will. Where's he you buried? Won't. E. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it to a live Bowie. You kidding me? You dang right, you won't. I don't know why. Every time I see God in Texas, in my head goes the like the song "Deep in the Heart of Texas." Don't know why. You're all welcome for getting that song stuck in your head. Anyways, the request that Bowie sends for parlay is hit with pretty much a firm no. If they did not immediately come out and discuss terms of surrender, the quote rebellious foreigners to whom there is no recourse left if they are met to save their lives, then to replace themselves immediately at the disposal of the supreme government. We are the supreme government. We will come and destroy. They do sound like the. I'm not a big Star Wars guy. They do sound like the Sith. Those are yes, the Sith. They sound like. Did you say the, Star the Wars or Star Trek? Wars. Okay. You're right then. Okay. <laughs> I was very nervous. I thought you said Trek for a minute. And I was about to just flame you. I don't know. I if, I I don't know. I'm sorry. My ignorance showed up. I'm sorry. Between the red flag being raised and now this letter, there's really no point in surrendering anymore. The likelihood of anyone being executed was pretty high. The only way to make it out of the Alamo would be to fight out of it. Travis is pretty annoyed with Bowie, but he does send a responding letter back. The letter said that if Travis fires a cannon, that that meant that they rejected the Mexicans' terms. As soon as the letter is met, as sent off, Travis gives a speech to his men urging the men to never surrender. And then he orders them to fire the cannon. The Alamo itself, the building, the complex, is not built for defenses. It's actually a former church, a former missionary that had never been completed. It basically had no roof on the top of it. I think it had been abandoned for probably 30, 40 years at this point from its original purpose. It had been standing uh, for 75 years. And think of it again as more of a complex rather than just really the thing. It's been a while. It's been, I was there when I was like 10 years old. Uh, it's really just a small building and a small concourse, if I remember this right. But it is really like a three acre complex at this point, uh, at this point in history. Uh, the Texians uh, could place cannon and the thick adobe walls are actually surprisingly good against cannon fire. So as they're entering the siege, the Mexican army is going to kind of use the strat, like the Napoleonic, uh, the Napoleon strategy with their cannons. Basically it's, do you see that wall? And do you see this cannon? We're just going to keep firing at that particular wall until a hole gets there. Until a hole is there, and then we can mow in. It takes a while for that to happen. So basically, the men inside the compound have to just be under siege until the Mexicans decide with what they want to do, or they get reinforced. Inside the Alamo are about 160 men, and that number will fluctuate. The total number of the men at the time of the siege will be about 188 is the most consistent number I've seen. For now, there's 160. 
They could seek refuge inside during the bombardment, but it's dire, especially if you're James Bowie. His temperature raises to 104 at this point. He's delirious. He's getting there. And all the command is given back to Travis, who writes a letter that will make him famous. But also, before we get into that, uh, so Bowie's accomplishment in the Alamo was to ask for the parlay and then, hey, I'm done, guys. Right. See, see you later. <laughs> so anyway, Travis writes a letter that's going to make him famous. I'm going to quote the most of it. February 24th, Travis wrote, I am besieged by 1,000 or more of the Mexicans under Santa Ana. I have sustained a continual bombardment and cannonade for 24 hours and have not lost a man. The enemy has demanded a surrender at discretion. Otherwise, the garrison will be put to the sword. If the fort has if the fort has taken and I have answered the demand with a cannon shot and our fight and our flag still waves proudly from its walls, I shall never surrender or retreat. Then I will call you in the name of liberty of patriotism and everything dear to the American character to come to our aid with all dispatch. The enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to three or four thousand in four or five days until it is neglected. And, and if this call is neglected, I am determined to sustain myself for as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due in his own honor and in his country. Travis then signs it, victory or death. Which is a nice little callback to George Washington back in the American Revolutionary War. Nice little tie up there for him. Constant bombardment keep the men up through the night and in between the impact of shells. They could actually hear music coming from the Mexican camp. Oh, no. They're probably, uh, yeah, woo, party. <laughs> the men inside have to spend their time wondering if the next shell is going to come crashing through their room. One morning, Travis sees 200 Mexican men running down the San Antonio River, hoping to outflank the Alamo. When fire is traded for about two hours, the Mexicans are forced to retreat and actually uh, eight Mexicans are killed. Crockett was seen encouraging the men to keep their spirits up during the fight, which really Crockett turns into more cheerleader than anything. Again, he's high private, but he is the guy that's like entertaining them at night for uh, with all of his stories, all of his ridiculous stories. Uh, he's also kind of going up, patting them on the back, keeping them going. During the day is the bombardment, and during night, they essentially, we'll go into this in a little bit, but they essentially have to repair the damage from the day, and then just to repeat that. When you're under siege, again, the, the whole point is just to kind of... when Try you're to siege, Yes, you're just trying to outlast. Well, you only have so many supplies. Um, Travis struggles just getting men, like messengers, to come out. Uh, for the most part, there's going to be a little bit of an exception here in a second, but um, just know it's not fun in the Alamo. It's constant work. And then just being able like, hey, this is the, it does the next impact kill me. Like, it's not fun. Travis writes, writes 
to Houston again, pleading for reinforcements, saying that he's willing to be the sacrifice, but it would be really cool if you would just send some reinforcements. Huh, buddy? That would sure be great. Literally anyone. Anyone. Send someone, please. Frustrated, the Mexicans uh, spend the next day trying to find weak points in the walls. The Texans again are able to fend them off with a few well-placed cannon shots. But in doing so, they also give the Mexicans valuable information on where the cannons are and roughly how many cannons there are in the, like, in the compound. Bowie, at this point, is now on his deathbed and can only be paraded out for a few moments before having to be head back to his cot. Crockett is said to be on the line picking off soldiers with his long rifle from up to 200 yards away. On Leap Day, 1836, the Mexicans receive reinforcements. Santa Ana then offers amnesty to all of those in Mexican descent in the Alamo. So we also got to remember, it's not just a bunch of white dudes in the Alamo. There's a lot of mixed race people in there, uh, Mexican descent, so on and so forth. Santa Ana is essentially giving them a way out. If you choose to believe the man, and I would be very tempted to not believe the man, he then gives them three days to respond. This does have the intended action, and some of the men take him up on the offer and filter out. But in a turn of luck for Travis, later that morning, on the morning of March 1st, about 80 men actually find their way inside the Alamo. 80 itself is not a particularly large number. But in the grand scheme of things, it does kind of give them hope that maybe reinforcements are coming. In reality, the men weren't sent from Houston or from Fannin, the other person Travis has been sending messages to, but instead they were inspired by Travis's victory or death letter that had been published in the newspaper, and that was now making the rounds, which I'm sure really made him feel great. Yeah. So at that point, I'd be like, okay, they're not coming. Right. It's... I mean, I'm glad I inspired you guys. 80 is better than nothing, but I really needed you to be from Sam Houston. Speaking Houston and outside the walls, Sam Houston has done nothing. He hears of Travis's letter, and guess what he does next? Nothing. Why, though? Because he doesn't care? Uh, No, it's fake news, obviously. There's no Mexicans there. He doesn't believe it. Sam Houston writes, quote, a fraud has been practiced upon the people by the officers of the frontier for party purposes that there is not an enemy on our borders. Oh, no. Quite literally fake news. So he made a did he think he, did he for real think there was none there? Or did he just to continue Sam Houston? Why did Sam Houston believe Travis was lying? Because he thought he was playing politics. Houston, after all, thought Travis was a Stephen F. Austin man. And that he called Travis's letter, quote, a damned lie. Oh, no. It's always politics. Are you freaking Because of that, they said no reinforcements. I thought it was all just a freaking political game. (laughs) Because of course it is. 
Send a scout. Someone. Regardless of what Houston's feelings are, Santa Ana being tied up at the Alamo is actually doing the main army a load of good. Santa Ana has up to 3,000 men. A third of which would be more than enough to just stay and attack the Alamo. But he wants it all of them. Yep, Santa, exactly, nailed it in one. Santa Ana wants this victory for himself. Every day, Santa Ana is not chasing the main army. They're able to supply, plan, what have you. All because Santa Ana is looking for that really sexy newspaper line that he defeated the Texians at the Alamo. Back inside the walls, Travis is just trying to buy more time. And Travis knew there were only 200 men inside the Alamo. Travis sends men outside to ruin earthworks that the Mexicans had put up uh, during the day. After that, all Travis can really do is wait. Sitting as the army, sting the army where he could, hope that they don't attack, and really, really really hope that Sam Houston or Fannin send reinforcements. On March 3rd, they really have to start reinforcing the walls. Uh, They do so during the night, as I said. And they even start reinforcing the church windows and doorways, believing that once the enemy broke through, they may need to make their final stand in the church. You really get the sense at this time they all understand they're not making out of it probably not coming out of this one it's like the end of armageddon when bruce willis throws ben affleck back in the elevator and you just know no i love you i love you <laughs> harry What's you give name? this to stamper make sure stamper gets this <laughs> billy bob thornton just push it push the button You'll be glad to know more Mexican reinforcements show up. Oh my God. (sighs) Travis receives another letter. Travis receives a letter saying that somewhere between 60 and 300 men are coming for reinforcements, but not from Houston. The men can only hold off for a couple more days. More letters come in saying that more men will be showing up and that the Alamo soon may have 850 men in the fight. Finally, maybe, but possibly, Travis gets a letter from Houston. It's not confirmed. We don't really know if it actually existed, but if it did, they believe, historians believe, that Houston just asked Travis to come to the main army. Thanks, Sam. I would love to come join the main army, but there's 3,000 Mexicans right outside the door. How do you propose I do that exactly? Travis's other landline was Fannin, who Travis had sent several expresses to, and Fannin himself did not send Travis a single reply. I'd like to think Travis was reading the bottom of his iPhone and even saw the message was read. 
and there was just nothing. <laughs> Left him on red. <laughs> the worst possible situation. You up, Fannin? How you doing, sweetie? If Fannin would not show up with the other reinforcements promised, he would have no choice but to wait, basically, at the hands of the enemy. Travis writes again with a final sense of finality. Quote, I feel confident that the demand that the determined valor and desperate courage hereto exhibited by the men will not fail them in the last struggle. Although they may be sacrificed to the vengeance of the Gothic enemy, the victory will cost the enemy so dear that it will be worse for him than defeat. If we're going down, we're going down in a blaze of glory and we're going to take y'all with us. Down in a blaze of glory. You know, Bon Jovi. Gotta throw Only sad. Down there. Is there a sad version of that song? Down in a <laughs> now picture that because Crockett would be playing his fiddle. Now picture that song on the violin or on the fiddle. What a real sad moment. <laughs> the devil went down to Georgia? Oh, yeah. They were like, they were a couple states away. They're there, but uh, Charlie Daniels wasn't. <laughs> so we're still on March 3rd, and Travis sees the Mexicans building ladders. Powder and Ball are now running so thin that uh, they now order to stop returning fire. We need to save up everything for when they come out. Bowie is paraded out one final time. And I remember this somewhere, but I can't find the source. So take this with a pinch of salt. I believe they even brought him out on his cot. Because at this point, he is suffering from deliria and is vomiting. Don't know what that would really do to the men uh, if that happened. Uh, but he is he's absolutely brought out. I believe he is actually brought out on his cot that he is dying on. The next day on March 4th, Travis and his men have held off the superior uh, superior force for 11 days. It is believed that the Alamo had enough food and rations for up to two weeks. Who is to say how close they are to the end of that? Crockett entertains the man again with his fiddle, apparently playing the devil went down to Georgia, and tells them stories and is heard saying things like, I think we had marched out and died in the open air. I don't like being hemmed up. Thanks, David. Your ability to not want to be inside the walls is really inspiring. So we've definitely talked about the disadvantage the men have going up against the final battle that they know is coming. Some of the advantages they have, other than they're inside the fort, and you can see we've seen in Tecumseh's episode, we've seen in, in other episodes, when you're inside the fort firing out, you can take on a pretty big massive men if you're prepared for it one of the things that we saw in bowie's episode is that the texians have better equipment they have better rifles with better range more accuracy uh they should be able to do for they also have 800 rifles and pistols inside the alamo four for every man <laughs> which means they could fire 
four before they would have to reload. They had about 15 cannon and a lot of cannonballs, uh, but didn't have the men to be able to fire them all to put an effective volley across the first couple. So they can only fire from a distance. And then after their inside range, you have to ball back and fall back to the rifles. Right. But they can still do some damage on March 5th. They're working through the night or working through the day. They make about 25 grenades for when the Mexicans did start scaling the walls. They could simply drop the grenades on top of them. Also sound strategy. When the Mexicans got past that 200 bayonets would be there to meet the Mexicans. But I cannot stress enough how exhausted the men are. They have been constantly a bombard for 13 days. Working through the night to repair. Right. Santa Ana calms the cannons for the day on March 5th. It is the first peaceful night the men at the Alamo have had in nearly two weeks. Exhausted, a lot of them fall asleep. Oh, no. Around 3 a.m., the Mexican army starts to surround the Alamo. At around 5.30, they hear the, the trumpets blare from the Mexican army. They're coming, and everyone has to be woken up real quick. Someone at 5.30 bashes into Travis's room saying the Mexicans are coming. They then follow by the sound of axes on the outside of the wall. Travis grabs his shotgun and runs outside. The Mexicans are already at the walls. The cannon fire isn't going to help you now because everyone was asleep. They're not able to drop the grenades on them either. Travis yelled out, come on, boys. The Mexicans are upon us and we shall give them hell. As the Mexicans start scaling the wall, Travis leans over with his shotgun. And just then a steel ball hits him in the forehead. Uh, he falls back dead, still grasping his shotgun during the opening moments of the battle. That's it for Travis. Damn. It's that quick. <laughs> like it hits you that hard. <laughs> he is about the only one we definitively know how he died because Travis's slave was fire was fighting right next to him. And it seems like his slave, as soon as he shot Travis was dead, was like, well, I have nothing left to fight for. And he just goes and hides. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, guess that's it. Big gulps, huh? Well, See you later. <laughs> Just walks out. He is one of the surviving members, obviously, because he wouldn't be able to tell that story after. With Travis is dead, the command isn't handed out to the next in line because it doesn't matter. The only order that mattered was to stay alive for as long as you can. Bowie is in the third week of his fever and is not even sure if he was aware of the battle until the Mexicans break into a room. Now, this is where I have, I haven't really seen it written, but I've watched a few documentaries and I think they're just doing it for dramatic effect, but they do always show Bowie loading a pistol and firing it as they enter in the room. It maybe happened. I think it's there for dramatic effect. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong and please do so. 
What he took like a bunch of shots to the dome though, right? To the, to the head. Yeah. He was, he was well dead by the end because Bowie was not with the other sick men. Some of the Mexicans actually assumed he was hiding. When his body is found with multiple bayonet wounds as well as several shots to the face, they some believe that James Bowie was actually a coward. Oh shit! The men start feeling the fleeing the Alamo, only to run into a waiting Mexican cavalry, run led by Ramirez Isesma. He sent a company off of lancers to go run them down. Then another set of men tried to do the same thing about 50 or more and are met with the same fate. The Texians were quote, ready to sell their lives at a very high price. According to Ramirez, he says, as they were fighting, he then had to send the reinforcements twice before his lanterns finished them off one by one. A third wave saw the same fate. All men who died in the Alamo did so before sunrise in the end, all 188 defenders of the Alamo are dead. Less than a dozen women and children and Travis's slave survive. Santa Anna likely saw seven men surrendered, but were, ox- were executed. Possibly one of them was Crockett. Santa Anna then wants the, bo- the bodies of Travis, Bowie, and Crockett all to be presented in front of him. Santa Anna writes of his total victory and the killing of all three men. Then the bodies were set up into three large piles and set on fire, burned, and they burned throughout the night. Travis's last courier to Houston reaches Houston at this time. And in the letter, Travis describes the experience as thrilling in the letter, but it isn't until a few days later that everyone in Houston's army realized that everyone in the Alamo was gone. Houston then has to do a tremendous amount of backtracking from his fake newsstands, understanding that he was a pretty major reason that all the men were dead. Houston then pivots and blames the Alamo on Travis and Bowie for disobeying orders. Santa Ana underplays his casualties. It could have been up to 33%, The most common number I saw was somewhere between 600 men and 800 men, uh, which would be approximately 33%. The Texas Revolution now has its rallying cry, and many soldiers who capture Santa Santa Ana at San Jacinto do so in the battle, do so going into battle, screaming, remember the Alamo. And that was William B. Travis. And the Alamo Defenders. Good old Willie B. Immediate thoughts before going into route. Mm-hmm. He was kind of b- 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 boring. Really? You didn't like him? This is a real hard think. I'm thinking. I didn't really like him. Well, let's get into the round, shall we? Okay, are you satisfied? This is our biography round. We will be handing out negative 10 to positive 10 points apiece, depending on how we thought, how he, how impressed we were by his story. Matt, not sensing some high reviews on William Travis. I mean, he was okay. Like, uh, I don't know. His early, he did everything. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. He go ahead. I had a lot of the same thoughts. Because I, I enjoy the Alamo story. I like the history behind it. I enjoyed the buildup. I don't enjoy I don't agree with a lot of the positions they took, but the actions I do like the the story of the Alamo. I think with him, I don't think he's going to score particularly well, but I don't think that reflects on the Alamo. In fact, Travis kind of comes across to me as someone who died too soon rather than he held on too long. Cause we're definitely going to see got people that live too long. Travis died at 27, 26 when he was just becoming a success to where I don't see why if he, for whatever reason, survived the Alamo, there's no reason that we're going to Houston, Texas. We might be going to Travis, Texas. Like that was the trajectory he was kind of heading on. Now we don't know that that's a hell of a leap for me to make. But when we get to Sam Houston near the Texas revolution um, anniversary next year, Sam Houston wasn't the most successful guy either until he was. So I think he suffers from if Travis doesn't do too well, it's not a reflection on the Alamo to me or else I'd be rating him quite highly, but I just think he died too soon. Yeah. I just feel like, okay. The the leading up, like you said, everything, it's not a reflection on the Alamo. Right. And I feel like he did, like hang in there um in the alamo they had a good plan yeah it was a great plan of santa Ana to um cut the cannons that night because yeah you've just been barding them day after day obviously you're not going to be able to sleep or you're going to be alert when you're any minute could be your last right um but they had a plan and he like helped but before that it was like what he was a teacher and then he tried to be a like a newspaper guy yep. and then he tried to be a lawyer and like he had all then, these failed ventures right then he was a baby and then he abandoned his family right and then he was a baby infancy i do declare so i just feel like up until then up until that moment like you said you're um you're not successful until you are right so he, if just think about the other way, if they would have won though, or if um, Sam Houston would have actually believed him, like what the hell is up with that? Who right. doesn't believe that? And there, there is debate. It's not like he sent one letter. He sent a bunch of letters. Travis, yes, Houston maybe replied to Travis. We don't. I don't think it's really known if it survived. And also, like that would have been the first. If it's if it did happen, that's obviously something that Santa Ana would destroy. Um, right. I wonder, I mean, he, he made the decisions he had to, but like, he's also forced into those decisions. Like what do you, yeah, there's 3000 Mexicans outside. What decisions can you really make? I'm going to write a bunch of letters uh, and hope somebody comes. I'm going to try to fix the walls. So I hope they don't break in. And then we're just going to prepare to fight because I don't, I don't have another route out of this unless we get reinforcements. Um, I think what part of you're forgetting is when he was arrested and he was baked for 50 days. Um, Completely disagree with his reasons for doing it. 
uh, approaching Bradburn from basically because he was mad Bradburn was housing slaves, runaway slaves, and Travis was wanted to bring the slaves back into slavery. Um, that part's not great on him, but I think that reflects more in the next round than this one. If I'm going to give a score, um, it is going to be influenced because originally when I wrote this episode, I was going to do three distinct episodes on these three men and then do a special episode on the Alamo. That's how I was planning it. Well, we just did the Alamo because there wasn't much on Travis. <laughs> I had to combine both of those. So um, with his life, it's it's fine. I'm going to give him some credit because I, I'm going to go with the I, – I like the story of the Alamo. So I am going to give him a four because I like the Alamo. <laughs> I'm gonna do I'm gonna do you one better. I'm gonna give him a five. Going five. That is a total of nine. Next round, be sure you are right. Then go ahead. His comrade, David Crockett's round. This is our morality round. We're gonna be handing out points again from negative ten to positive ten. And he ain't gonna be doing good in this one. This is not his round. What do you want to talk about? Abandoning your family? Um, or a staunch defender of slavery and everything that came with it. <laughs> I'm going to do, I'm, you know what? I'm going to go. Before you give your score, I do think we have a little bit of a precedent because it's, it's horrible to like put a, Again, if we could all judge slavery in the present day, yes, everyone would be negative 10. That doesn't leave a very interesting select. We're doing it with a bell curve here. Other men that have been penalized for morality, uh, David Crockett got a six mainly for, again, not being with his wife, but also he was a slave owner. Daniel Boone, we took off three, or I took off three. So I'm, I'm going to go with three is kind of my baseline. If you use again, that sounds terrible because talking about slavery. So I'm going to take away three points from him there. Uh, but he also, he's not James Bowie smuggling slaves in, but he was ready to take on Bradburn because he was housing refugee slaves. So that to me is worse. So my original thought is a negative four. Hey, me too. I just held a four. Did you? Hey, look at you. Negative four. Um, I don't think he was like um, like an evil person, but he just didn't have morals. That you I, mean, have. He's, I mean, he's. I mean, you abandon your family. I'll, I'll come. I'll send for you, and then you fall in love with Rebecca. Right. Uh, I do think so. Like, it's never good to abandon your family. Uh, he I'm never even met his daughter. No. Well, he met her once. Then he died. Um, I think what... It was a shotgun wedding. So, like, she, Rose, Rosanna was pregnant, and I'm sure he was... That shotgun, her, her like I said, was been, planted firmly. You marry, my, you marry my girl, you hear? So, who's to say... It, they were very young. She was pregnant. Who's to say she wouldn't even be in the story past that if she wasn't pregnant like right. i don't think they would have gotten married um again still your family still shouldn't abandon them um i think negative four is still fine with him but um for our scores mm -hmm. i agree next round to hell with the consequences this is our crazy 
or clever round. We're going to be handing out points again from negative 10 to positive 10, depending on if we think he was crazy, which would be the negative side, or if he was clever, the positive side. I I don't think he was clever. (laughs) I don't think he was crazy either. He's kind of, he made the decisions he had to. Then he said, I think I'm going to give him like a, a two just because I thought like he came up with a pretty decent plan for when they invaded. Or when they broke through. Yeah, I just I just wish like there's no way for them to know if when the Mexicans are going to attack, but like maybe the cannon fire stopping for a couple hours should have been. Yeah, a- you should have known like <laughs> something was up like, hey, this is maybe they're letting us sleep. Yeah, I mean, again, they're exhausted. I what well, I mean, I'm not going to judge them for that. They're on day 13 of a siege. That wasn't fun, but um yeah, if and it, I don't think them being up would have changed the outcome. It just maybe they really how many I'd like to know how many men they would have taken. Like yeah, with them, with dropping the grenades and having his, his actual his, his strategy. But I think two is fine. I I might go three, um, because I think he is more politically savvy, um. Then we then we really covered, but obviously, if I didn't tell you now, he's not. You know, uh, there's no way for you to know. But um, I'm just gonna go three, and that's gonna give him a score of five in this round, negative eight in the last round. So William Barrett Travis is sitting at six whole points. <laughs> so that means he is sitting in positive. So we are going to continue to add points to his score. Um, if he had been negative six, we would continue to subtract points from his score. But now we're going to head into draw. Draw is how screwed are we if we were to meet him in a duel? We're going to hand out points from zero to ten. I'm going to say like a two. I don't recall him killing anybody. I mean, I know we're getting into that in the next round, but I don't think so. I don't think he was. I don't think we'd be all right. I think we'd be all right. Are we slay? Are we anti-slavery? Because he would. He would fight. That's about the only thing I can think of. Right, and we would lock him up for fifty days. Let him bake. Uh, we gave a five to Calamity Jane. Do we? Few? Do we? I'm more. I'm more scared of Calamity. So you gave her a three. Yeah, and I said what two for him. Also, keep in mind, we might want to redo our scores here for Wild Bill because Wild Bill did very poorly in this round. Uh, we gave Wild Bill Hickok and Billy the Kid uh, a total score of five. You, We each gave three and two apiece. So, uh, Wild Bill was not a threat. He's a good guy. He was a good guy. And Billy the Kid, again, I, I stand by our logic, our reasoning, but looking at previous scores, uh, I think. I don't I don't think I. you're going to go three. You're going to, yeah, two, two is fine. I don't know what's going to, doesn't, he doesn't do a lot of fighting. He does a lot, it's a lot of political fighting. And then there's a big fight at the end. Um, but he does, when the fight comes, he just, he sticks his head over the wall and then it goes dark for him. So total score of four legacy. How well known is he? Matt and I are going to hand out points from zero to 10. 
is where we might have a debate because if you know about William Barrett Travis, you just know him for the Alamo. And that's it. So how much do we want to give the Alamo credit? Because that's going to be all of his points. Well, I knew about the Alamo and knew nothing about him. <laughs> that's exactly where we're at. <laughs> um, he was one of those blink and you'll miss it. Guys. Um, I am going to say. I'm also going to say before you give your score, I'm also will say that this to me. When we get to the tournament. This is he's going to be the guy that you're going to be clicking, snapping your fingers like, oh, the the leader of the Alamo. Uh, what uh, what was his name? Ba, 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 ba. That's where I think he's at. You will remember the story. You will not remember. what. Right. You'll be like, wait, what was there was three of them. I remember them doing <laughs> three episodes. The comedian. The zombie and the uh, who was the uh, other guy? and the Alamo, right? They did an Alamo and special. The Alamo. It was just the Alamo. <laughs> I'm gonna say uh, three. Three. How many of that is to the Alamo, and how many is it for him? Two two point seven five to the Alamo. <laughs> I think his only other comparison would be Tenskwatawa, because you're gonna remember Tecumseh before you remember Tenskwatawa. And you gave him a two. I gave him a two and a half. Do you believe William Barrett Travis is more memorable than Tenskwatawa? I'm going to go ahead and give him a two. I'm going to give him the same. Oh, and two. Okay. I think I'm going to go 1.5 because I think Tenskwatawa, while not the best leader, uh, I think he should be remembered more than, than Travis. Um, yeah. Death bonus. We're going to hand out bonus points from zero to two. And if we think he had a cool death story and like the last two, he died at the Alamo. So it's the place is memorable. Well, I thought how he died was actually kind of memorable too, like leading the charge, you know, yeah. first one he to didn't die probably, away. or one of the very few first to die. Good point. I'm going to do a uh, one. One. I match all of your reasonings, but also there's a little bit of, oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's go. Yep. That's a cutoff mid And then I, I love the thought of his slave being like, well, guess I'm free. Right. <laughs> Bye everyone. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, oh, uh, uh, okay. I'm good. See ya. Is he uh, I forgot my, I forgot my, uh, I forgot my rifle down there. Hiding in a. Which, which, hey, it worked for him because he was one of the few to live. And to be fair, the uh, look over there trick is really effective in this given context. <laughs> Counting coup. Wait, you never said your score. 0. 0.5. Half oh, point. okay. Sorry. Okay. Yep, 0. 0.5. Sorry. Uh, total score, 1.5. Counting coup. This is our confirmed-ish kills. He was a soldier. I was going to say the um, one point. If, point if, one. if you're new to us and you're just picking us up at the Alamo, this is um, we try to find a source of how many people they killed to buy that number by 10. And we do have a precedent that if they were a soldier, we kind of give them a token 10. 
and then divide that number by 10 to give them just a singular point. I am here in favor of breaking precedent because he was the officer. He didn't really kill right. like he was he, was he in any him. battles besides the Alamo. He raised a militia during Concepcion during the, like literally as the fight's happening, he's dead. Like before he can pull the trigger, right. maybe he fired, maybe he fired a, do we give him one in the hopes that his shotgun fight, his shot, he was able no, to pull I, the I don't think he killed anybody. Not even a point one. Nope. Know? Nope. Okay. Mm -mm. Well, zero. I agree with that. I, I think that's fine. That brings. <laughs> I before I say the score, I like the Alamo. Everyone, I I enjoy the story. I know there's some people that don't like the Alamo. I enjoy the defending of it. With that said, the commander of the Alamo's total points is fifteen, which is a bit of a a, a womp womp. So from here, I think we need to draft him. Matt, do you want to explain what we're doing with this draft? Okay. So Eric and I will be drafting a team of 20 each, uh, and the rest will go into a pool that will be known as the free agent pool, similar to what you'll find in um, fantasy football or fantasy basketball. So it'll be my team versus his team, thus... We will compete to find out what team is the winner, Team Eric or Team Matt. Eric, do you have your trusty coin? Uh, yes, I have it. It's right here. Um... Heads. Uh, I think that's tails. Yep, it sure is. Before I say yes or no, are you going to draft him? If I, I am not. No, I'm actually. I am going to take him. I was just curious. I wanted your real answer. I'm going to take him because I think the Alamo will go away, and I can tell that story of the Alamo. Um, again, nobody be mad that we think the Alamo is essentially a 15 out of 100. It's not the whole point of this. <laughs> um, <laughs> i can already see some comments <laughs> not to the point it's more it's just on the man um with that said i think that's all we have on william barrett travis and that brings us to the conclusion of the alamo we did it it was our first anniversary leading up to it i was really excited about it shout um, out to the book you read, right? What was it? Three Roads to the Alamo? Three Roads to the Alamo. Yeah, big shout out to Three Roads to the Alamo, William C. Davis. It's very good. I like that also, title. It is excellent. It's very good. It has a good cover, too. Let me find that. It was interesting learning about these three very different people. Oh, I like that. Oh, yeah, it's really I good. like that. Um, If you guys uh, ever... My sourcing is obviously in the bottom of the, of the episode description. Um... Yeah, it's a very good book. It just it's very separate. So like chapter one is like Crockett and chapter two is just Bowie and then it goes into it. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's it's 
probably the most mileage I've gotten out of a book. I'm now on my third episode of it. Also, a big shout out, not just uh, for this time, but for historical societies. I use a lot of the Texas Historical Society site. Um, They're wonderful. If you work at a historical society, uh, I appreciate you greatly. Please keep doing all of the good work because I don't think the local historical societies get all of the props they all that they deserve. So thank you very much. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and give us a like and subscribe and leave us a review. We would love that. We love hearing from you. Um, we do have an email, ranking76pod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at ranking76podcast. And we do have a Facebook group, Ranking76, the American West. Go ahead and follow that group. And with that said, I'm Eric. And I'm Matt. And we will see you next time. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom